I'm Dan Roberts and welcome to The Business. On this week's podcast, we hear from Jacob Wallenberg, one of Europe's most influential industrials and the scion of Sweden's royal family of finance. Indeed, the Wallenbergs are Scandinavia's answer to the Rockefellers and perhaps the Rothschilds as well, a dynasty of prominent bankers, investors and politicians going back several generations. Jacob recently returned from the World Economic Forum in Davos, where else? And when he came into our studios, I asked him for his forecast of the business world in 2010. Frequently when you go to Davos, you learn a lot of new things. You sort of come back and, and, and you have a new and possibly even fresh perspective on things. But, but I think that this time it was quite different in, in, in that there was not a lot of new stuff coming through. It was more a reconfirmation of where things are going. And I, and, and I would say as, as, a, as a business person, as an investor in a number of different companies, obviously we're through a financial crisis. And I applaud, let me just add that, I applaud the governments throughout the world for what they have done. I think it's fantastic. I think it's fantastic. Uh, central bank heads, uh, senior politicians, etc., what they have achieved. Uh, so, so the financial crisis is behind us. Then we see we, we saw a, tr- a, a very distinct drop in sales numbers for, for just about any company, with a few exceptions. And I think that uh, we've ended up at the level where, where companies sell maybe 20-30% less than what they did two years ago. I don't see that changing during 2010. Uh, I think you're going to have a, a fairly stable situation with limited growth, maybe a little bit of growth. That's bad, but at least it's stable. Mm. And that's a lot better than last year. I I don't anticipate a lot of negatives, uh, risks, uh, things like that, unless there is a newsworthy item coming up. So all in all, fairly stable economic or business environment. The thing that concerns me and and which was debated uh, is, of course, the the sovereigns, Uh, the Greeces, uh, the Portugal, the Spains, uh, the United States, uh, countries with uh, high debts, uh, budget deficits, etc., etc., and how to deal with this. Counteracting that, of course, is, is the force of the, the BICs, the Brazils, but, and, and India and China, of course. And, and, and they are, you know, with their help, uh, we see a significant possibility in, in sort of overall global growth. An awful lot of your interests are in European industrial companies, particularly Swedish, but more generally, you're sort of behind a lot of, of Europe's sort of um, brightest industrial champions. Do you worry that through this recession and crisis, Europe has, has lost, a, uh, lost its way a little bit in comparison, particularly with the, the, the rising economies in Asia? I, I think broadly speaking, no. On, in, in one sense, I, we, we're not that different than what we were two years ago. We're not that different compared to the Americans. But I would say, while we are sort of, um, you know, getting on with things the way we're used to, the Chinas and Indias, primarily the Chinas, are moving ahead at a pace which I find to be uh, very impressive, very strong. And I think that overall China is taking on a, a new and a stronger posture in the world. So I think that we're seeing a China which is much more competitive and now has an ambition to go international. You see a number of Chinese companies coming into the world, not the least in, in Europe. Take Ericsson's main rival today is the Chinese company Huawei, did not exist 15 years ago, and Huawei takes a lot of market share. So, and I think we're going to see more and more of that happening. So our challenge, Europe's challenge, 
is to be able to be co competitive against these new powers. And I think that, you know, if we don't watch out uh, Europe, uh, uh, as, as someone said, the, the old economies, uh, we, we will be, if not outcompeted, we will feel the pinch of serious competition from new players. And that means job opportunities. That means economic development, uh, tax base, etc. And so we have to watch out in, in Europe and be on the ball. Mm. Tell us a bit about your your own family's investment um, philosophy. I mean, you've you've tended to sort of own companies for for a while and be seen as a relatively long term uh, investor. Um, do you think that's coming back in fashion? I mean, for a while that was seen as a pretty sort of sleepy way of running a conglomerate. Do, do, you, do, you, seem, do you feel like you're, you're, you're back with the zeitgeist? We've been in business as a family for five generations. I, I and my brother and my cousin are, are, are the fifth generation. We've been uh, involved for 150 years. We've always had the same basic philosophy of being long-term. I were willing to take a risk to invest in something and stay with it rather than voting with our feet. Uh, we've always done that. We continue to do it. Uh, tastes for different types of investment uh, uh, models uh, will change, uh, just like uh, other tastes change. But we're sticking to our philosophy. Right now, it's very popular. Right now, people are bashing short-termism. Uh, but, 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 you know, we've seen that but so many bashing times. Bashing short-termism is a short-term fad, perhaps. <laughs> well, there we go. I think that's a fair, fair mm. point. But at the end of the day, uh, I, I think there is a merit to to that long-termism is important also. You have to be able to invest in, in new factories, in, in R&D, where you really don't know if you're going to get full, full return on it or not. You have to be willing and capable of taking those risks, I mm. think. And that goes for all of Europe. We, we have to be in that game as well. Our American competitors are better than we are at mm. that. And so we have a few challenges there as well. Mm. Do you think um, you, you seem to have a fairly low-key um, public profile compared to say, um, uh, American investors, as you, uh, as you, as you mentioned. I mean, um, Warren Buffett, for example, is someone who, who famously adopts a very similar kind of investment style. And he, you can't, he's never out of the business pages, not necessarily through his own making. But Europe's industrialists, you know, like yourself, are often in the background. I think your, your family motto is something like to be see, to see and not to be and not to be seen. I can't find the exact translation, but, but basically a sort of um, a fairly shy if, if that's the right word uh, approach is that deliberate do you think um do you think there is a w w appropriate po public role for people like yourself yeah uh, i think it uh, i mean we we've always as a family had a reasonably low-key uh, attitude you will not find uh, articles about us in our homes and and the more social side the private side of, of things however i think as as a senior business person you have to be engaged you have you have a so i i would even venture to say a social responsibility to be there to be available make your thoughts known etc it's it's part of of democracy to have different views uh, uh, tested against each other. My family, I, we, we, we try to participate in that. However, I think... <laughs> There is a challenge. Business is not business. One does not spend a lot of time and effort trying to be participate in in broader discussions in society, because there are significant risks involved with it. If if someone doesn't like you, there's a downside, and so a lot of of business people shuns that 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 part of the debate. And then we're always we're not always considered to be. Um, 
you know, in the current debate, uh, b- b- business is not viewed as something positive. Mm. Business no- is not viewed as the place where you actually create job opportunities mm. or where you create income that ultimately creates the tax base, uh, base from which everyone ultimately en- en- enjoys the fruits. And I, and I think it's really up to ourselves mm. to, to, to make that argument. And how, put it how, forward. Do, how do you make that argument? I mean, how, how is business perceived in Sweden, for example, at the moment? I mean, do you, uh, no, it, it, you have this uh, sort of general uh, challenge of, of, of being viewed as an equal partner in a broader debate. And, and so a, a lot of business people just don't interact. So I, I'd say business is viewed as, as a fairly silent participant in, in society in uh, Sweden. And I think that goes for quite a few countries, unfortunately. Mm. What's your approach to corporate governance with, with the companies that you, that you own? As a, as a long-term investor, does that mean that you're, you're generally supportive of, of, of management or do you, do you see yourself having a sort of activist-type role and shaking things up from time to time? Well, that's our role. Mm. That, that is the, uh, I think that is the owner's role. Uh, now, we do it. Uh, we're very transparent and very straightforward about it. We, we, we are significant shareholders in the companies where, where we are a shareholder. Uh, 15-20% kind of thing. Uh, we always work through the board. So we, we, we nominate someone to the board and, and that person is then uh, an active and engaged member of the board discussion. And through that individual, you can make your voice heard. You can push uh, or rather you should push and, and our role then is, is, is to be there and to question management and, and, and make sure that they are on the ball the way you'd like to. Uh, we, uh, but but the quid pro quo is that we're sticking to the company. We're not voting with our feet leaving tomorrow. And in quite a few of the, of the companies we're invested, we've been investors in most companies for between 50 and 150 years. So long term is long term. Uh, but it's that engaged business model. Uh, which is sort of uh, our profile and and that we try to to, to work with the whole time. Tell us a bit about one of your companies that has a very big presence in the UK, AstraZeneca. Um, There's a lot of concern in the pharmaceutical industry at the moment that uh, uh, the era of blockbuster drugs is coming to an end and nobody quite knows what's going to replace them. We've seen job cuts announced only the last few days from AstraZeneca and, and others like Glaxo. Do you feel confident in the long-term growth prospects of, of the industry and AstraZeneca? And, and, and how do you think the industry needs to sort of get its, its vim back again, its growth back again? I mean, the pharmaceutical industry is, is complicated because the lag times are so long from research and development and, until you eventually get your permits and so on to sell, to sell the, the, the ultimate drug. Yeah, I think uh, we're extremely proud of what AstraZeneca has achieved over the years. It's it's uh, done extremely well. It's of course been through its um, ups and downs, but but all in all, I think they have a, a, a very nice uh, pipeline. Uh, they have a, a great CEO who is uh, who is on this case. And and uh, you mentioned that that, uh, that there has been uh, terminations and so on. But you know, it's part of a, of a continuous development. It's part of efficiency measures, etc., etc. These things will happen from time to time. But that's not the reflection of, of the skill level of the company and, and, and the uh, potential success of the company and, and its drug base. Uh, I have uh, very high hopes for Astra uh, 
uh, AstraZeneca and, it, and its future development. Mm. Do you think Anglo-Swedish joint ventures of this type work well? We've got a, we've got a, few, a tradition in, in, in this country of having Anglo-Dutch uh, companies. There's quite a few. But uh, I mean, AstraZeneca is symbolic of quite strong ties between Sweden and the UK in the industrial sphere. Do you see that the business cultures as being quite similar or do you feel there are big differences? There are significant differences. Two very different cultures, the Anglo-Saxon and the Scandinavian one. Uh, but I think that uh, AstraZeneca is a good example of where things work out very well. Yeah, well, it's run by an American uh, managing their CEO. And you have a large number of Swedish multinationals that have been present in the UK market for ages and have done very well or well respected. And, and so it seems that it works very well to, to combine different cultures. Quite a lot of Swedish wealthy entrepreneurs reside in London as well. I mean, when the non-domicile tax uh, debate raged in London last year, it was one of the big groups that people feared would go go back or would would move out of London with, with, with the Swedish money. I mean, do you, over the years, do you think the tax differentials have sort of worked against Sweden and, and driven too many people to London? Are you, are you <laughs> well, they've driven them uh, out of Sweden, most definitely. We we see a lot. We saw. A large number of, of entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs moving abroad for tax reasons, yeah, not only to Britain, uh, a number of different countries. Yeah, we see less of that today. Sweden is actually uh, time for the Brits to move to Sweden, in other words, because now we've taken, we, we, uh, we have taken away wealth tax, we've taken away uh, uh, inheritance tax. We're only one of five nations in the world that have taken away both these uh, taxes. So, you know, all in all, uh, you're doing fairly well if you're a Swede today. What's the short of that? Well, hopefully entrepreneurs will elect to stay in our country if they made a great success in our country that they will stay the capital will stay and they reinvest it in the further development that's our hope and you also sit on the board of some u.s companies well i think you on the board of coca-cola is that right this that's is correct. it there must be a, a an, an even bigger culture clash than the difference between london and <laughs> stockholm how, how, how have you found that Extremely interesting. The U- U.S. corporate culture is quite different. Uh, corporate governance is quite different. It's a great honor to be uh, to be involved with that company, uh, along with Warren Buffett. Uh, well, he he oh, left. I came uh, I came uh, after he left. Mm. Uh, but I'm a first foreigner on on the Coke board, uh, and uh, as I said, you learn a lot. Mm. It's it's a, not only a great brand name, but it's such uh, uh, there is they're so extremely skilled on the whole consumer side of business, as you always learn a lot. And and of course, the idea why. Am I there? Well, I can bring in some international experience, uh, perspective, uh, and, and, and all of that, which, which I, of course, do. So it's, it's a good mix. Just bringing you back full circle to the sort of the broader question about the, the health of, of uh, European industry. Do you think that um, uh, industry has been too dominated by finance and banking uh, in recent years? You don't seem to get involved in too many takeovers. Is that a deliberate thing? Do you, or, and how, how, do we, how do we change the economy to sort of promote the kind of long-term view that you... No, I, th- I think growth is, is fundamental for any company. So you, uh, you're going to continue to see mergers. Having said that, uh, yes, I think that finance sometimes has taken too much uh, of, of a central role in, in society or in business. Uh, a large number of business graduates today go directly in, into finance. Uh, I'd like to see uh, a lot more of them go into to the, the industrial base, into to, to sort of other types of 
businesses uh, for the, for the good of uh, for the broader i mean to be philosophical about it uh, for the broader good of society so so that you develop a lot of different things in parallel with each other i think uh, long term that 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 would uh, support uh, an even stronger economic development frankly speaking okay well jacob oliver thank you very much for coming in it's been great talking to you